You're listening to a special guest speaker on the Calvary Brighton podcast. John chapter 14 will be our passage, and uh, we'll kick it off in verse 5. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 5. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, and he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And God's church said, Amen. 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 You know, there are seven different times in the Gospel of John where Jesus said, I am. If you can take notes quickly, here they are. (laughs) Seven times. Number one, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Number two, he said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, as we just read. And in John 15, I am the vine. Now, the phrase, I am, in the original language, the the New Testament, is ego ami. And ego ami is fascinating because it's the same phrase that Jesus used, or that Jesus was referring to from the Old Testament, where God appeared to Moses at the burning bush. You remember that story. Moses, uh, he was a shepherd for 40 years. And then one day he sees a bush that's on fire. (laughs) And he stops. He's like, what's going on here? Because the bush was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. And, And he walked up to the bush, and then the bush started to talk to him. That's when maybe you've been a shepherd for too long. The bush starts speaking to him, and and it turns out it was God sharing. And God said to Moses, as you know, hey, go to Pharaoh. Tell him to set my people free who have been enslaved for 400 years. And and Moses responded. He's like, well, who, who shall I say sent me? In other words, under what authority should I go? Who are you? And then God responded and said to Moses, I am that I am. And Moses is like, thanks, that clears it up. Like, it kind of raises a bunch of questions, doesn't it? I am that I am. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, scholars and rabbis and theologians and philosophers have been trying to answer, who is the I am? Some have said that the I am means the self-sufficient one or God who defines ultimate reality. There's all these terms that that rabbis have used over the years, but it still leaves us hanging with the question, I am what? (laughs) Can you fill in the blank? Who are you, Lord? And this is why I love the seven statements of Jesus, because in the Gospel of John, Jesus essentially is answering the question, who is the I am? Jesus puts on full display the character and the heart of the Father. And who is the Father? Light, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection, life, truth, the vine. Jesus is the incarnation of the I am. Now, 
this is where we get into some I- interesting territory because I, I think most people, even if they consider themselves unbelievers, don't have a hard time with most of these I am statements. For example, if you were, you know, after this service to go out into the streets of Denver and, and just engage people in conversation, hey, w- what, what do you think about Jesus? Do you think that, that Jesus was like bread for the hungry? I think most people will be like, yeah, I can, I can agree with that. Or, or do you think that Jesus was a light in, in a dark world? Most people, even atheists would probably say, yeah, he, he was like a light in, in a dark place. But where people get tripped up is the statement that we read today in John 14. It's an exclusive claim. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, this is by far the most controversial thing that Jesus ever said. This is the thing that really gets people upset because Jesus is not saying, hey, I'm just one of a myriad of ways to the divine. He, he doesn't say, I, I will show you the way to God. He, he doesn't say, I am just one truth among many, many other truths. No, Jesus, he makes this definitive, exclusive claim. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And this is what people have a hard time with. Why? Because we live in a moment here in 2023 when the prevailing worldview, kind of the waters that we swim in, is pluralism. Pluralism is is this belief that there is no such thing as ultimate or absolute truth. What we're taught and told through media, through TV, through Netflix, whatever, we're, we're told essentially in our education system, truth is relative. Truth is whatever you want it to be. You hear phrases like, you be you, or live your truth. It, it doesn't really matter, we're told, you know, what religion we practice. The only thing that matters is that you tolerate, that's the key word, you tolerate everyone else's version of reality. And the best way to tolerate them is to keep your beliefs to yourself, right? So we're really, really tolerant of other views with the exception of saying there is only one way to God. So th- this is the culture we find ourselves in. And what's fascinating is when you begin to peel back some of the layers of pluralism, you, you find that there's all kinds of hidden contradictions, things that really don't make sense. Um, there, there's a journalist a number of years ago named Steve Turner, and he, he wrote what is called the secular creed. And, he, and he's kind of poking fun at the beliefs of modern culture. And he said, this is what we believe as a society. Quote, we believe in Marx and Freud and Darwin. We believe that everything is okay as long as you don't hurt anyone to the best of your definition of hurt and to the best of your knowledge. We believe, he said, in sex before, during, and after marriage. We believe in the therapy of sin. We believe that adultery is fun. We believe that taboos are taboo. We believe that everything is getting better despite evidence to the contrary. And the evidence must be investigated and you can prove anything with evidence. We believe 
that Jesus was a good man like Buddha, Muhammad, and ourselves. We believe that he was a good moral teacher, although we think his good morals were bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same. They all believe in love, goodness, and they only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. Now, of course, he's writing this in a satirical way saying, look, at a surface level, pluralism sounds very progressive, right? It's very accepting. It's very zen. It's very Boulder, Colorado. But when you actually begin to explore it, okay, what do you mean by that? What do you mean that everything's the same? What do you mean there's no such thing as absolute truth? This is where you find all kinds of contradiction and confusion because we essentially, as a culture, don't know what we're searching for. Maybe you saw this in the news. I, I read this recently, and classic story. A few years ago, um, the news broke that a woman was reported missing on a tour in Iceland. And so true story, this helicopter was sent out to, to go find her along with several vehicles and the Coast Guard and 50 people or so were scouring the canyon where she was, calling her and searching for her, including, here's the catch, among those 50 people was the woman herself. It turns out that she was a devoted member of her own search party because what happened was she had changed her clothes before the description of her was read. And so when they're describing this person, she didn't recognize who this person was. Hours later at 3 a.m., the search was called off when it finally registered with her and it became clear, quote, that the missing person was in fact accounted for and searching for herself. So can you imagine being this woman? She's like, wait a minute, are they? They're looking for me. I'm, I'm the missing one. Now, what was so funny was on Twitter, Twitter just blew up after this, and some of the comments that people wrote, um, they wrote down a couple of them. Someone said that the woman had potentially done quite well because some people search their whole lives and never find themselves. <laughs> And someone else, they tweeted, aren't we all in our own way, this woman? And, and I, I read that, I'm like, that's perfect. I think that describes the confusion and the sense of lostness where we're at as a culture right now. Like everyone's searching, but we don't know who or what we're searching for. You know, and, and as Steve Turner pointed out in, in the secular creed, all religions actually don't say the same thing. You know, it, it sounds really tolerant to say that, but they really don't. You know, you Take Buddhism, for example. Did you know that Buddha's last words before dying were, quote, work hard to gain your salvation? And of course, that comes on the heels of him laying out this whole system of thought, what he called the noble eightfold path, which is essentially a doctrine based on works. Compare that to Jesus' final words. His last words were not work hard to gain your salvation. His last words were, it is what? finished. In other words, there's nothing you can do to gain your salvation. It's through acceptance and trust and faith in me. This is just one example. All religions aren't saying the same thing. So why would we say that? Why would our culture be so adamant on saying, hey, it's all the same. There's no one truth. There's no one way. It's many truths and there's many ways. Well, there's really 
there's really only two scenarios where pluralism could be true. One scenario is if there is no God, right? If God is just a projection of everyone's imagination, as Marx said or as Freud says, hey, then that could be true. Another scenario in which pluralism could be true is there is a God, but the God is really confused, right? Uh, this is essentially the God of deism. Uh, deism is the belief that God, it was really popular in the Enlightenment, God created the world, but then stepped away from the world and, and isn't really a personal God. Uh, you think of Star Wars, you know, the, the force. There, there's this energy in the universe, but you can't really have a personal relationship with it. And, and, and in that case, maybe if the God is confused, sure, pluralism could be true. But there's a deeper problem here, is that when a person says pluralism is true, there is no one way to God, well, <laughs> That statement is in and of itself a very exclusive statement, right? If someone says, there is no one truth, well, that is an exclusive claim. If you had a conversation with someone and they're like, hey, stop saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's offensive to me or politically incorrect. Or, you need to believe that all religions are the same. Well, by saying that all religions are the same, that's articulating a very specific take on reality. By insisting that we embrace that perspective, well, that is an exclusive assertion. By saying there is no one truth, that is an assertion of truth. By saying we shouldn't make universal claims, that is a universal claim. That the point is, everyone, Christian, atheist, agnostic, wherever anyone may be on the spectrum of belief, everyone is exclusive at the end of the day. Everyone believes something. Everyone has a worldview. I mean, even about basic things, let alone salvation and God and faith and justice and love. I mean, we're, we're exclusive about even the smallest of things like food, right? For breakfast, I love a hearty breakfast. Bacon, egg, sausage. Man, that, that, that powers my day. My wife, on the other hand, would be totally content with a bowl of cereal, or a sweet potato. For the life of me, I don't understand why she likes sweet potatoes. Does anyone like sweet potatoes? No! Okay, there's prayer available afterwards. I, 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 I love food, but there's something about sweet potato. I'm convinced that in the Old Testament in Genesis where, where Satan tempts Eve, it was with a sweet potato. Uh, it was like the cause of all evil in the world. So th that's another theological conversation. But I'm exclusive about that. I'm like, yeah, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. We're, we're exclusive about our health. Like if, if you went to a doctor this week and they're like, man, I've got some bad news for you. Just found a tumor. Um, good news is, you know, if we remove the tumor, you'll, you'll live. I think you're going to be pretty exclusive about that. You're not going to say, you know what? I'm just going to let the tumor be. It's living its truth, man. Just let it do its thing. And you're like, no, get that thing out of me, right? We're, we're exclusive about 
sports, like about the Rockies not finishing last this year. Like there are some exclusive beliefs. You're exclusive about relationships, who you marry or don't marry, or if you're single, who you date and don't date. Like everyone has conviction. Everyone has some kind of sense of what's right and wrong. And here's a question that John 14 really kind of forces us to grapple with. Was Jesus right? Is he the way, the truth, and the life or not? Is he the way to God or not? I think of the question that Peter was asked by Jesus. He's like, who do people say that I am? And Peter's like, you know, that's a really good question. There's a ton of rumors right now. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked Peter, he said, but who do you say that I am? That's the question. How do we respond to this exclusive claim of Jesus? And what, what did Jesus mean by it? You know, C.S. Lewis, he talks about this in his book, Mere Christianity. And I'll just read to you a quote from his book. So good. He basically says, we have one of three options when trying to discern what Jesus meant. He writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. Quote, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. And here's the options. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or a sweet potato, uh, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This is huge. Jesus makes an exclusive claim. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What do we do with that? Lewis would argue, we have three options. We, we can either say he was a lunatic. He, he, Jesus was crazy when he said that. He didn't know what he was talking about. That's option one. Or we can say he's a liar. He's intentionally trying to deceive people by making an exclusive claim. Or we can say he's Lord. Three options, lunatic, liar, or Lord. And of course, especially in 2023, this is a countercultural thing to believe. This cuts against the grain of what we're told is right in our culture. But here's the important point, is that just as it's countercultural or even challenging to believe in a context like ours today, it was equally, if not more difficult to believe that when Jesus first said these words. Did you know that when Jesus said he was the way, the truth, the life, the people that he was saying that to would have been really scandalized by that. That this would have, and that actually did create a lot of controversy. How so? Well, well think about Jesus religious audience. Did you know that the religious teachers 2,000 years ago, the way they interpreted the word, the phrase, the way, 
they saw the way as their law, religion, legalism, the old covenant. In fact, let me give you a couple verses here as, as an example. In Exodus chapter 18, verse 20, Moses says, you shall teach them the law, and check out this phrase, and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. The way. Now, we're not talking Mandalorian. When Moses says the way, what's he referring to? The commandments. In the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments. 248 positive commandments. Do this, do that. 365 negative commandments. Don't do this, don't do that. 613. The rabbis, they called that the way. Another example Psalm 119, verse 1, it says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of God. Now, here's the point. When Jesus said, I am the way, this would have been triggering and offensive to the religious leaders because they would say, no, the way is our law. The way is our commandments. The problem being, of course, is that they were so fixated on the law and the commandments that they had missed the Messiah, Jesus, right? I, I, I read a story recently about a guy who, he saw a sign outside of a house. He's walking through the neighborhood, sees the sign outside, and <laughs> the sign said, talking dog for sale, and he's like, that's interesting. Never heard of that. And so he walks up to the door, knocks on it. And, and sure enough, the owner's there. He's like, hey, you know, I'm selling my talking dog. And the guy's like, I've got to see this for myself. He said, here's the dog. And so he struck up a conversation with the dog. And he asked the dog, he's like, okay, what have you done with your life? And to the guy's surprise, the dog responded. He said, I've led a very full life. I've lived in the Alps, rescuing avalanche victims. I served my country in Afghanistan. And now I spend my days reading to the residents of a retirement home. And the guy's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy. He's just shocked. And he, he asked the dog's owner, he's like, why would you want to get... And why would you want to get rid of an incredible dog like that? And the owner said, because he's a liar. He's never done any of those things. <laughs> Talk about missing the point, right? And, and I think about these religious leaders where they're absolutely missing the point of Jesus and the Messiah and love because they're so fixated on what they thought was the way being their laws and their commandments. And so Jesus, he says, listen, the way isn't all your laws. I am the way. It's relationship. And isn't that the difference between Christianity and other worldviews? Other worldviews would say, hey, you want a relationship with the divine? Do you want to know God? Okay, here's the path you have to follow to get there. Here are all the rules you have to obey in order to earn God's favor. But Jesus brings it to the level of relationship. And he says, no, it's about intimacy and closeness with me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, I think of my daughter, Amelia, when she was seven. 
um, <clears throat> when Star Wars came out, one of the, the earlier Star Wars, uh, 10 years ago or so, came out, um, she was so excited to see it. And she's like, Daddy, can, can, we go, can we go see Star Wars together? Now, she's seven years old. Imagine if I had said to her, oh, you want to go see Star Wars? Here are the keys to the car. Car's in the driveway. Drive it down the highway a couple miles. You'll take a right, then you'll take a left. You'll pull into the parking lot. Here's some cash. Here's my credit card. Like if, if I'm trying to show her all of that or tell her all of that, it would have been a disaster. Instead, what do I say? Hey, you want to see Star Wars? Let's go pick her up, let's get in the car, I drive her there. You see, I don't just show her the way, I was the way to Star Wars, right? There's a difference. Jesus, when he's ministering, he's not like, okay, I'm just going to show you how to get to God. Here's some more rules. Here's some more laws. No, he says, I am the way. Just be with me. It's relationship. I am the truth. I am the life. But for the for the religious audience, they would have been scandalized. What are you talking about? You aren't the way. And keep in mind, this is interesting too, when you study history, um, this would have been countercultural not only for the religious people, but the secular people. In the Greco-Roman world, um, they were quote-unquote very pluralistic uh, because they believed in tons of gods. Um, they had gods... They, they called them earth spirits. Uh, they had ancestral spirits. They had gods of the sky and the earth and the sea. Anyone could have their god or goddess. And what was really convenient was if you didn't like your god or goddess, if your god or goddess disappointed you or didn't give you what you wanted, guess what? You could... You could click on friend. Okay, I'll just worship another god or goddess. Because they thought, hey, truth is relative. Truth is whatever you want it to be. Now, he here's what's fascinating, is there was one exception to that. They, at the same time, said, you can worship whoever you want, but everyone in the Roman Empire has to pledge allegiance to Caesar. Did you know that everyone was required by law to stand in line once a year or so and you would take this incense and you would you'd drop it on this altar and everyone would have to say, Kaiser Curios, Latin for Caesar is Lord. There was one group of people who refused to say that. And who was it? The Christians. Because they believed there was one God they believed that there was one Lord. They refused to bow the knee to these other idols, these gods and goddesses. They refused to say Caesar is Lord. And that got them in a lot of trouble, right? Christians were rounded up. They're persecuted. They're imprisoned. Thousands upon thousands in the first century alone lost their lives because they believed that there is one king, there is one God, there is one Lord, and to him someday every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is a price to pay to believe in the exclusive claim of Jesus. And yet, there is also tremendous beauty. What I love about the early church and what I love about the Christian story is 
that those who believe that truth was real, those who believe that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, also have had a tremendous heart for the broken and the wounded of the world. Why is that? What's the connection between believing Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and also having a heart for those who are hurting and suffering? Here's the connection. Because if you believe that Jesus is the way to heaven, then you'll be motivated to bring the culture of heaven to earth. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, then you will want him to be Lord over all that is messed up and broken in our world. It's only when we have a sense of what is true that justice can happen. This is the intriguing thing to me, is that there's a lot of talk about justice nowadays. But in what sense can you have justice if you don't believe in ultimate justice? In what sense can you have truth if you don't believe in ultimate truth? Historically, it's only been the people who actually believe there is such a thing as truth. There is such a thing as justice. There is such a thing as love. There is such a thing as the way. There is such a thing as a way to God being Jesus. Those who have actually believed that have a motivation to then bring truth and love and justice and healing to the world. And that has been true for hundreds and hundreds of years because brothers and sisters, we believe like the early church that salvation, Acts 4, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And that is the name of Jesus. And so the, the, the question that is before us today is super simple. I, I, I think it's essentially the same question that Jesus asked Peter. Who do you say that I am? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus meant what he said? Do you believe that he is the way to the Father? Do you believe that there is such a thing as ultimate truth? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? And how we answer that question, it's not just some theoretical, abstract, Sunday morning kind of thing that we sing or pray. How we answer that question has very real implications for not just our Sunday mornings, but our Monday mornings. How we love, how we serve, how we work for the healing of the world, the conversations that we have, this changes everything. A couple of weeks ago, someone asked me randomly, they're like, so they're like, I've been thinking about dying a lot lately. I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> Let's have that conversation. They're like, I don't know, it's just really interesting. And then they started talking about epitaphs. And they're like, I, you know, what would you put on your epitaph? And then that, this led to a whole other conversation. I'm like, I don't know. What would I want said on my epitaph? So, you know, I consult uh, the all-knowing Oracle, Google. I'm like, what, what's some good epitaphs? And this one popped up. Um, it was actually a picture of an Indiana cemetery. And I, I got the picture. Here it is. Um, this was an epitaph for their father. And it, it's over 100 years old now. But what it says on there, it's really intriguing. It says, remember friends as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. 
as I am now, you soon shall be. Prepare for death and follow me. I'm like, man, that's kind of bleak. But here's, here's the funny part. Someone actually, and you can kind of see the, the scratches on the bottom. Someone years later scratched underneath this epitaph. They said, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> so brilliant. And it's so true, right? Who you follow matters. And the reason we're here and singing and praying and opening scripture is because we believe there is no one else like Jesus. There is no one who loves like Jesus, heals like Jesus, gives hope like Jesus. There is no other name like Jesus. And we believe he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for truth. Thank you for sending your son Thank you for loving us. And I pray you give us boldness and courage, Lord, as we go out into our neighborhoods, our workplace, into our city, as we have conversation, as we engage with the longings of this culture and the questions of our culture. Lord, I pray you give us boldness to to not back down from what you said, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, help us to speak truth in love, And may our lives embody what this looks like. May we be the most loving people, Lord. May we fight for truth. May we fight for life. Lord, may we show people the way because that is who you are. And you've saved us. You've rescued us. And so now use us and use this church, Lord, as you have over the years. Continue to use this community to bring hope and light into this city. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.